0: Welcome to Morning Talk Show. Uh, I'm filming this in my yard just to try it out. It's very hot here um, and it's hot in my house. So you get to be part of the experiment. Um, Today is my conversation with Gary Lachman. The least pertinent thing about Gary Lachman in this interview is that he was in the band Blondie, um, which is amazing because I love Blondie. But uh, since ending that career, he became an author and and speaker and basically thinker uh, about the occult and mysticism. And he's written books on like Aleister Crowley and um, Donald Trump. And he's kind of up on the world of, uh, you know, magic and esoteric philosophy and that kind of thing. And so he is an amazing alternate perspective on things um i feel like everything he's an expert on is kind of considered a marginal or a marginalized viewpoint and yet when i listen to gary speak uh or anything he's written about it it's so wise and interesting and not at all in conflict with Uh, any of my own views which are obviously informed by more like judeo-christian traditions so uh, i wanted to talk to gary in general we talked about purpose and talked about kind of his life story and the transitions uh, and turns his life has taken Uh, really enjoyed the conversation and i hope you do as well please like and subscribe ring the bell if you want to be notified about uh, future episodes thanks so much enjoy uh, Gary Lachman, welcome to Morning Talk Show. Um, I'll say that in case I want to cut out that stuff about, about us talking about the connection. Um, right, right. But uh, th- I, um, I saw you speak to the Explorers Club and uh, uh, that Sarah Janes, who was on, also on this podcast, um, runs. And I loved it and looked into you and, and have have listened to you speak quite a bit. And uh, the thing I wa- the thing that uh, I kind of wanted to hone in on, the thing that made me want to talk to you the most, was uh, something that kind of ties together my sort of um, spiritual, psychological, philosophical interest, and sort of a more personal um, element of my life. And that is that you did a pretty dramatic um, job change, vocational change when you were... About 40, apparently, uh, if I if I have my information correct.
1: Well, that was, well, I mean, if, if you mean going from being a music writer, uh, there was a, it was like a decade in between that actually happened. So in be, in that in between there, I was trying to have an academic career if we're going to, you know, talk about it in that way. But yeah, sure. yeah, I mean, that was the big change. So, oh, that's fine, you know, yeah, you know. Yeah.
0: Um, so, uh, yeah, so there, I mean, there was a shift anyway, like your life has changed kind of, uh, the, the focus of your sort of vocation has changed over time. And, uh, and that, that really interests me because as someone like I, I'm, I'm 40 now and, uh, and my, you know, I've always kind of struggled with a sense of, um, a, you know, vocation and purpose, and I, I was raised to feel that uh, our purpose in life is very um, distinct. And like, well, I was raised in a conservative Christian uh, environment, and uh, so I was raised to feel that my purpose was very much laid out uh, and laid out in front of me. And and, and when um, you know, uh, th- there would be a missionary who would come to church or whatever and talk about uh, how they 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 had prayed, God, send me anywhere but Africa. And then with a smirk and a laugh, they'd say, and he sent me to Africa, of course. So I lived with this fear that my purpose and that my sort of the command for my life was going to be something I didn't want to do specifically because I didn't want to do it. So uh, I'm I'm interested to hear kind of how you would frame and characterize uh, purpose and, and kind of how you would describe your your mental life as you transitioned you know so i guess we need a little bit of autobi- oh, autobiography okay. yeah, sure, uh, first sure, sure, and then sure. a, yeah a move good. into that
1: sounds good all right let me just fill my glass here with some water and then uh, certainly going. okay
0: yeah so um so autobiographically um y- y- you are uh, not autobiographically because I'm asking you, but um, you you started off in, in a music career um, uh, playing in in Blondie, um, and I'm I'm interested in in kind of where the. Where I'm not interested. I mean, I am interested in why you wanted to be in Blondie, but that seems pretty obvious and and uh, and cool. But I'm interested in when the seeds of of change began and and kind of what uh, what was going on in in your mind and and in your sort of thought life as this sort of long form change uh, happened. Hmm. Is that too broad of a question?
1: Well, I mean, actually. No, 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 not at all. I mean, it's um, uh, well, I mean, uh, I get asked it all the time, as it were. But um, I mean, initially, I wanted to be a writer for some reason. I, I don't know why. I mean, I'm I'm actually going to try and delve into this and find out where did this come from. Um, because there's no way in my family that any any kind of nobody read a book, you know, really anywhere, even in the sort of further ripples of the extended family. Mm. But um, no, for some reason, uh. Um, when I was a listener, I, I wanted. I, well, I started. I to be a comic book. I wanted to be a comic book artist. That was the first thing. But then I wanted, wanted to be a poet for all reasons, for whatever reason.
0: Hmm. And
1: then, then right to playing music, actually, by um, through um, writing the poetry in the sense. It was very bad poetry, and um, it, it hasn't survived. I'm glad. But uh, I was living in New York. At this time, uh, in the East Village on East 10th Street, and I was working as a messenger and starving and all this kind of stuff. But um, someone I knew from New Jersey, where I grew up, um, was a drummer, and I knew him from bands in in high school. And he had answered an ad in the Village Voice. They were looking for a power drummer, and it turned out to be the sort of what you know became later on, you know, Blondie.
0: Mm. And
1: so he was playing in these gigs, and I was living in this sort of storefront in you know off avenue A, and <laughs> um in the place there was a sort of broken down piano and i had all these friends i knew when i was growing up were all musicians uh when i was a teenager but i i could barely just kind of pick up a few chords here and there but luckily that's what you
0: oh oh goodness yeah you have uh, frozen up doggone it hmm Hmm. You've frozen up entirely. Frozen as well. yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, you're back. That's so. That's so strange. I did a. I did a podcast interview just yesterday afternoon with this exact setup. Now it's telling me my well, connection I mean, is it's unstable. T-
1: it's. That's. What it's telling me too, but I also have you know. Hmm. Full
0: the bars. The, you know the radiation it, waves. You know, it could honestly the, be that the that the, full the zoom. Bars and
1: the modem
0: yeah hmm. well okay uh, okay it looks like you're um, back though um, so uh, I wonder if I should yeah I wonder if I should sort of restart it and see if that helps um, yeah shut
1: uh, down and reconnect
0: yeah, yeah. I th- I, that's usually what everyone says yeah maybe so, maybe that's the thing to do because i did leave this computer on overnight and maybe that's the thing uh it, is that is that okay if if uh if i restart my computer oh, and then no, no, fine let's log, just do it so uh, you're, you're, you're,
1: you're, you're gonna reboot you're gonna reboot you're gonna re all right well, well um I'll, I'll do the same then yeah
0: okay, okay thank you thank you i'll right, just so be I'm back in off
1: now and i'm gonna do the same thing okay, okay. just
0: all a right. couple of minutes thanks here we go okay. the same high school together Mm-hmm.
1: He had answered the ad and he started playing with them and their, their bass player quit to join um, uh, another band called Television. And oh, wow. they needed a bass player. And he said, he said, why don't you come and audition? So I could, you know, sort of almost kind of maybe play sort of thing. And I went and uh, it, it was fine. And so that's how yeah. I started playing with them in spring. I mean, you know, a little bit, another month or so around this time of the year in, mm. Low, low back in the day of 1975. And then so, uh, so at that time it was, you know, I was writing songs in, in Blondie and then I had my own band after Blondie. And, but my interest in the sort of thing I'm doing now started then, mm. uh, I mean, that's the other story. Because um, uh, at one point I was living in a loft space on the Bowery, uh, not uh, very close to this club called CBGB's which is just the, this dive yeah. of a bar of course, uh, where bands, Patti Smith and the Ramones and Talking Heads and a variety of other you know, people came out of there, Blondie as well. And so in this loft space, it was a three floors. One of the people, the, the fellow who was renting us our floor, he was very interested in Alistair Crowley. who's was this dark magician of the 20th century yeah, and yeah. had tarot cards and a variety of the things. And then Debbie and Chris, they had a kind of um, kitschy interest in the stuff. So I, I didn't have any interest in it before then. But, what had happened is I came across um a book uh, by a British writer named Colin Wilson. And right. It was a book just it was called The Occult. And it was a history of it, but written from a sort of philosophical or psychological, literary sort of point of view. And it was yeah. just a gripping read. And so i be- I just became fascinated with him from reading that book. And subsequently, <laughs> many, many years later i'm I'm you know' uh, been doing it for, well. I'm doing it for many, many years now too. I'm sort of doing it for mm. twenty five years now. Uh, so that's the, that's the interest. So what I was wound up doing, my interest in it started then, but at that time I was, um, but even still, some of the songs I was writing uh, were informed with this sort of thing. Even a, a song I wrote for Blondie that was a hit called I'm Always Touched by Your Presence, Dear. And it was oh. about these sort of telepathic dreams my girlfriend at the time and I were having. And, wow. and, um And my own band, I, well, my own band, uh, it, we didn't get a deal and all that but it was called the no k-n-o-w, K-N-O-W. Okay. and that okay. that was because of my int- my interest in Gnosticism so I was always okay. sort of you know reading this kind of stuff for fun yeah and but then you get, what I said um, in my memoir of my time uh with Blondie uh mm-hmm. called New York Rocker I had yeah. I just became too smart for rock and roll
0: I mean I, I just <laughs> was
1: reading was reading too many things and you, you you know it comes to a point you realize you can't sort of you know, write songs anymore about the sort of things that are really interesting to you. So I, you know, just dropped out after um, the end of, yeah, the end of 81. Uh, that year, I, I did two tours just playing as a hired gun, as it were, uh, okay. a guitar a guitarist with Iggy Pop, um, two North American tours. You played Canada. Um, cool. Right, uh, Toronto, yeah. Montreal and places like that. Um,
0: that's, that's awesome. So, I mean, that, that's really interesting, I guess, that what, What it kind of highlights is that uh, um, your kind of spiritual, I guess you could say, or or philosophical interests, um, kind of kind of guided you on a different path. Kind of made it at at a certain point, it was like uh, the 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 thing you were, the place you were, um, the place you were didn't didn't let you fully express kind of what was going on mm, mm, and, and and that's mm. that's a really interesting because i i would imagine that transition was uh not a lucrative one in terms of like uh, and no. and it didn't increase your visibility and it didn't increase any like some of the things that sort of um it didn't increase the things that might look to everyone else in your life like success yes. so did, were you conflicted about that or did oh, you Oh no. Ha- no 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 no
1: no, I mean, I, 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 at one point, I went back. I mean, after about two, two, three years, where I was living off my royalties for a while, actually, because one, one song did very well. The song of "The President's Dear" was a big hit here, hmm. in the UK and in Europe. And yeah. um, um, I, well, friends said, "Why don't you go back to university and and you know do something? Because you read all these books anyway." So no. I'd spent a few years just reading everything and uh, so on. So I went back and I got a degree in philosophy and my, you know, my philosophy professor says, so what are you doing? <laughs> <Why> are you, <laughs> they want to be, they want to be rock. You know, you, you meet these, some of these academics that are maybe more, more of them nowadays because right. you know they because t- they teach pop culture. They teach, you can get a degree in rock and roll. Well in <laughs> any case, it's like, you know, and they want to, and you, and you did it already. And it's like, no, I'm, I, no, actually I want, I do want to read Kant, you know, can we do this? <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about the Rolling Stones later, but you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And so they didn't had no idea why I would ever want to do anything like this whatsoever. And so, but I was, you know, I guess you could say following a path, but I didn't think of it as following my spiritual path right. in that, that kind of self-conscious way. But I did feel, well, I was driven by certain, you know, um, put it this way psychological. If you know the work of the um, American psychologist Abraham Maslow in, um, in, the, uh, very, very in the, the 20th century, well, he's not as well known these days, but he was very um, in, in the 60s into the 70s and sometimes into the 80s. But um, humanistic psychology, but he has this notion of um, this hierarchy of needs. Yeah, that's, it's, it's that's a kind of level. And so, you know, when, and I, I felt that I was being, you know, uh, I was pursuing that that higher need of self-actualization put right, it that so, way. Which yeah. Yeah, once you start talking about it, it, sounds very corny and all that, even though I write books about it. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, I i don't like to go around and trumpet about my own kind of sp- spiritual sort of journey, but I am obsessed with these sorts of ideas. And, right. and I mean, fundamental questions, you know, ultimate fundamental yeah. questions, you know, what was it, you know, meaning of life and all that sort of thing. So that's the kind of thing that I took very, very seriously seriously seriously. Uh, And even when I was playing in a band and all that, and then once I could no longer, basically, I couldn't write songs anymore at a certain point, because the things that had, you know, sort of moved me to write the songs, I was no longer moved by them so much. And so that's when I went through a long period where I, you know, wanted to transition, as one would say, to the intellectual I am today or something (laughs) like that. But it took quite some time because actually I had to learn how to write, whereas when I was doing music, that just came out sort of uh, naturally okay. that was more yeah. the muse the muse just spoke then whereas when yeah i had to learn how to write something that someone else would not only pay me for but would actually want to read
0: right yeah well i i think that's interesting i mean yeah i mean and i've, I've often thought about that cbgb's period of time and and how um the the aesthetic um the aesthetic sense was so strong that uh, it, it 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 did seem effortless when you when you sort of hear bands from that time and see you know hear music from that time Blondie included I I'm a, I love Blondie, um and uh, and so I I I wonder if maybe the fact that you were involved in art had given you a glimpse because I did I I share the same kind of reticence to talk about the idea of being self actualized because it's a very dualistic concept you know like I was one of you and Well, the now the thing is if well, the thing I is if am. you
1: are if you are you don't want to talk about it. you just want to get on and do what you do well, so I'm more, I'm more interested in talking <laughs> about the ideas like so right. oh, really tell me more about that than like oh my you know that's what i mean like because then you're still sort of you know well
0: yeah you know i mean n- no exactly in any and case I, I i i don't mean to
1: interrupt so i ahead.
0: no no that's okay um <laughs> i just mean that it's 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 something that um almost needs to be talked about but like you say those who those who uh ha- have have caught little glimpses of it um it, it's it's not it's it seems a little bit almost like uh pompous or something but i i, I think we can we can create a safe space where, where that's not uh that's not the no case no People and, have been uh, calling
1: me pompous for a long time. I, I'm, I'm, I'm immune. I, it doesn't matter to me whatsoever. Okay. Anyway, so. uh,
0: that's that's good. But um, I, I've I've wondered about this because I'm also a musician. and an an artist myself, and uh, I I kind of feel like the being involved in art gives you these little glimpses of of a higher reality, and hmm. uh, and there's not a lot of there's not necessarily a lot of messaging, depending on where you are, that that um, invites you to delve further into that, but you can't ever totally forget about it. So mm. I wonder if the mm. fact that you'd been an artist, you'd probably had these kind of transcendent moments of, of in playing art and, and in, in, in being mm. on stage where um, there, there had been a, almost a spiritual component, whether you acknowledged it or not, that, that, oh. uh, that made it much easier to move mm. into like- Yeah, what, yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the thing I have against spiritual it seems to have taken over from, you know, I mean, I I, I consider myself more of an existentialist. Than sure. like but I'm not, I'm not against, you know, I'm, it's not like I'm against it, but it it already carries all this baggage, you know. In, ooh, of course, way. like I mean, for yeah. me it was more about yeah, it's a journey, it's but it's about into your own identity and meaning and being and all this kind of thing. And again, I'm not self-conscious or if I was self-conscious about this when I was 21, it it was in some pompous. <laughs> right. <laughs> sort of presumptuous way when you're that young, but that's when you do it. I mean, and so you're doing it and all that. So, so I mean, I'm just you know that that kind of thing. And um, but no, no I, I I certainly think you know because um, I mean, again, you're talking about CBGB time. I mean that that there was a golden period when there was this mix of sort of art and poetry and this real simple kind of music that it was sort of you could they were they were, they were almost there was like tunes again almost it was yeah. Like, because everything hitherto was all, you know, either it was this, this big prog rock stuff, uh, mm-hmm. when, you, when you had to go to the Juilliard School of Music in order right. to play, you know, in a rock band, or it was, you know, disco or the kind of stuff that was on AM radio. But then yeah. what was happening in New York in 74 is like, it's very simple, three chords, and it, it was a song and it was charged with, the, the, and it was about life on, on the street in New York then too. So uh, it was very much close about one's own experience. And so I I was there in that, doing that kind of thing. And, you know, know, everybody name checked Rambeau and Baudelaire and, you know, Verlaine, obviously, Tom Verlaine. So that French symbolist poetry was sort of the background to all this kind of experience. So it had that kind of heady brew. And, Mm. um, yeah, I mean, I I had already read a lot of poetry and, and, and literature and all that kind of stuff. So it was a lot of ideas that and and. So, I mean, that, but for me, that kind and for my own sort of thing, I mean, I, that kind of current carried me on past, you know, when I stopped trying to, uh, you know, uh, be a musician. I mean, I, I did it. Right. I said, I went back to un- university in the mid eighties, got a degree in philosophy. And then I thought I was going to teach philosophy. That was the, seemed the next logical step from, you know, being a rock band. I'd go teach right. philosophy. And then right. that changed too, because um, I mean, long story short, when I, I went back um, uh, to university to do sort of graduate stuff, it had. Uh, It just, it was a very different atmosphere, you know, and it's like, and it was, you know, it it wasn't even, it it was sort of the beginning of the PC thing, which now is just Mm. dominates uh, everything. I I understand quite a bit in Canada, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Oh
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Jordan Peterson is all, you know, up in a huff about, but, um, (laughs) but um, I mean, even me, when I was doing this in sort of the early nineties, it was sort of, there was no place for what we in here in the UK, they call a mature student. He's right. an old romantic kind of humanist. And he's not, I didn't want to deconstruct right. anything, you know, and I
0: was right.
1: interested, you know, I think, no, these writers actually have something, you know, to say. Yeah. And so I was, it was like, no, 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 you don't belong here. So I knew I wouldn't get a job anywhere. And, and I, that's when I went, that's another major life change I went through from
0: mm.
1: the, the, 10 years earlier, let's say was the switch from musician right. to whatever, at yeah. that point. A marriage fell apart. I, I was working for a time as a science writer of all things for um, UCLA. Oh, that's um, the whole story behind that. Um, and um, I should never got the job, but um, I had written some articles and and reviews, from some yeah. pop science books about chaos, you know, theory or something. And they were looking for somebody who could translate the wonderful work that was going on in the molecular biology department into into readable prose for okay. the alumnus, alumnees, so they would contribute and all that. So I was, yeah, you know, I never thought it. My wife at the time basically, you know, uh, uh, nudged me to apply for it, and I didn't want to. Yeah, but I thought I'll never get the job. I'll get her off my back. And, you know, oh, I am <laughs> looking got- for work, honey. And then they got in touch with me and they said, when do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> Be <laughs> and careful was, what I mean, you wish it, for. Well, I know, but in terms of the real world, that was, in one sense, that was sort of like the most, I know, the furthest I got into sort of the, you know, the out, the outskirts or the inroads, whatever you want to look at, it, of the real world kind of thing. Yeah. And it was a good job. It was a good-paying job. And I had my own parking space or whatever, you know, <laughs> right. secretary and all that. But at one right. point, I mean, I remember walking on the campus and I said, well... I wanted to be a writer, but no, I I will be writing at least, and I can do some stuff on the side because I have oh, been yeah. p- publishing articles. Yeah, and I and I should be happy, and then from really deep down inside somewhere, it just came up, no, yeah. <laughs> you're not, you're not, <laughs> and after that, mm. I mean, that set in motion a lot of things that I I didn't have any control over, but in the end, everything mm. fell apart, and that washed me ashore. That washed mm. me across first the states and then across the Atlantic to here. So that um, was that, that, was that uh, I wound up here at the beginning of 96. And it's since then that I've been doing full-time writing about, about this sort of thing.
0: Uh, that's, that's great. That's very interesting, all the different uh, phases. And what, what, comes to, what comes to mind when I hear about uh, the transition to the, from the different phases is that um, it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that when you were in the artistic community, like in the music community, there was there was quite a vital kind of life force going on, and people's interest in these in the topics of of philosophy and in the various Baudelaire and all that were mm-hmm. very um, existential interests. They they were it, it it was the engine to power like it was helping to power this real uh force of life that was happening on an individual level and on a scene level Mm -hmm. um at the same time that life within you propelled you to go beyond that and then you and then the um but then the academic world actually didn't have that same life engine like it had the information but it didn't have the like it didn't have the existential um forward-rolling momentum uh, mm-hmm. that the art scene it had, had. Is that a fair- Well, I mean, to- you
1: know, what can I say? I, I, I don't want to alienate because I, I have friends that are in the academic world and um, and I, I am I am in it to, to some degree, to the extent that I do occasionally give classes, uh, online classes yeah. for his, um, the- C.I.I.S. the California Institute of Integral Studies, right. but I mean, just in general, and this is, you know, I'm 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 not the only person to voice this. Ha- it has a very limited kind of constraint, and I think, especially the sort of thing I'm I'm right about, um, I, and I know in the last say 20 years or more, there's been an increasing interest in the academic world about the esoteric and hermetic and all this other other tradition and all that. But it's almost as if you know, it gives the impression that no one else was doing anything before that, and as if they, you know, we have planted the flag here and discovered right. this land. And there's a lot of indigenous people that have been doing work on this. I mentioned Colin Wilson, and mm. there's lots of other people that, you know, were not academics, they weren't scholars, but they, you know, wrote very, very good books and they did very, right. very good, books. and 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 they're exciting. And I think yeah. it's the, that's the other thing, and I'm not saying don't do this, but it becomes, it's and it's people talking to themselves too. And, and you know, I mean, I, I don't, <laughs> Tongue in cheek, I would say I'm a public intellectual, just believe me, I'm you know, but, but I, I would say we, we that kind of thing is needed more than, because it becomes completely academic. I mean, I remember just recently in, a, in an interview, um, someone said, well, it's it's kind of interesting to see someone with your background, you know, doing this kind of academic work. And I said, well, I'm not an academic. And so, well, you're a scholar. I said, well, I read a lot, right. you know? And it, yes. it's like, it, it becomes this kind of expert. You have to be an expert sort of thing, where mm. it's like, you can be, an enthusiast and very interested and, you know, in the way that say, uh, I don't know, people Aldous Huxley or you know, Arthur Kessler or someone from, you know, a couple generations back mm. who, you know, wrote about lots of different things. And yeah I think today yeah. we have this, 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 kind of professionalism and this, this specialization going on in these areas. Er- and again, I, I might yeah. joke before about you could get a degree in rock and roll now in <laughs> universities too. It becomes, yeah. it's, 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 um, so I don't know. I mean, I I, I know I know I read I, I, there's lots of footnotes in my books, if you want to look at right. it that way. So, I mean, yeah. I, I do a good job, but I, I like to keep it living. You know, I, I like to keep, right. put it this way. I like to, I, I want to write a book to be read, not to be studied. Right. To, to, to put it that way. Yeah.
0: Right. And, and, and I, I very strongly get that sense from you because I'm someone who fairly voraciously and with uh, a pretty high degree of uh, ADHD uh, seeks out people who speak uh with uh i don't know speak with life you know like people Mm. who people who speak from an inner place um of you know that's 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 driven by by felt need not driven by a sense of industry or driven Mm. by a sense of uh um career or something like that i mean these things become a career but um yeah that that's something that i'm always searching for and i definitely very strongly felt that when i um when i came across your work mm-hmm. and i know you've um you've done some profiles on some of these people like Rudolf steiner steiner uh who um didn't seem to be um didn't seem to be hemmed in by uh sort of career and and that kind of thing and i guess for every Rudolf steiner there, there might be there might be several other people who mm-hmm. never got an opportunity to mm-hmm. uh to, to get to that level who have that same kind of life uh, you know, following a life force or something like that.
1: Well, one wants to say and glorious Steiners. <laughs> <Sort of. laughs> uh, but um, um, no, no, no. I mean, well, the thing with Steiner is that, he, he, again, it was at 40 when he had his, his sort of life change mm. um, because he was sort of an all purpose um, intellectual lecturer for many years say a good mm. 20 years uh he was an expert in goethe and he, he lectured on nietzsche and, and marx he would lecture to anybody and at a certain point he got asked to, by the theosophical society to lecture on something and, right. and he found this is when he felt like he had found an audience when he can finally talk about his spiritual insights and all that sort of thing
0: mm. um
1: but no i mean I, i'm just interested in lots of things and I i i i figure i'm trying to write the kinds of books that i Always liked reading where right? I learned a lot from the books. And the book set me off following a path. I mean, this is one wonder- wonderful thing about Colin Wilson. I mean, he had a wonderful narrative. I mean, he died, he died a few years ago, 2013. But he had a wonderful narrative sort of pulse style that would keep you just turning the page. And then
0: hmm. oh. Oh, it's frozen up again. Let's just wait a second here. I don't know if you can hear me. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Oh, you've frozen up. Okay. Oh okay. It's back. Sorry. Okay. Yep. Right. Um yeah, I apologize for this. It's not uh it's this hasn't okay. happened. Um so anyway, you were saying what Colin you- Wilson. Sorry?
1: Oh sorry. Like, uh, say uh no, I was just, I was just gonna say you were able to edit it. I, I hope oh I'm yes, so, yeah, yeah, and right.
0: I'm so, I'm going to go back and s- select my uh, select my audio again. Now, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can hear. Yeah. Okay,
0: great. Okay, Colin yeah, Wilson. So, um, narrative so style.
1: Oh yes, well he has, uh, but also said he has this wonderful narrative style, page turning style. But then also he sets many hairs running, as it were, because he just refers to lots of other people's work. He synthesizes, brings things together, um, and so. I'd like to do that myself. So it it keeps me reading. And I I, also, because I have written about Steiner and Swedenborg and Jung and Blavatsky and Crowley, and Mm. Spensky and a variety of all these different people. I always, if I give talks to any of these sort of groups or, you know, societies that are, Devoted to those people, I always tell them about somebody else. They say, "Well, the Swedenborgians should talk to the Steiners and the mm. young should talk, should talk yeah. to these because you're all fundamentally talking about the same thing." Yeah, um, but from different perspectives, and you know, um, ecumenical. I mean, in a way, yeah, sure. That's how I feel. I mean, again, not to make it too sort of self-conscious, but in a way, it's sort of the same thing as kind of like you know, literary criticism or, or, uh, uh, any other kind of critical, you know, work where, you know, you're aware of the different things and you see the relations or comparative, you know, yeah. what used to what used to be comparative literature or something like that. So again, I'm not self-consciously doing that. It just, Oh, that's kind of in a way right. you could say that's sort of what you're doing. I, and I discovered that's sort of what I've been doing now for a while. Sort right. Of, and, you know,
0: yeah. It makes sense. It's kind of like playing, uh, playing different records for people when they come over or something, right. same idea. I, I wonder, so, uh, I feel like these people that you're talking about and, and yourself and uh, you know um, and something I aspire to be is this um, I compare it to uh, in the um, one of the, one of the Narnia books, actually Um, there's this uh, they go to this uh, liminal space uh, full of uh, little pools and each pool is a, a world you can dive into and they dive into a few different pools and they experience a few different very different realities um and really they're all they're all windows onto reality all different different types of reality and and uh, i think we, we have such a uh an annoyingly messianic kind of um mindset these days that um it, it, i think it, it it maybe is one of the one of the sort of spirits that i sense if you can mm. say that in in society that i sense that i would like to to fight against is this messiah syndrome that we have where someone would have to say steiner or wilson yeah. or yeah. lockman are um you know it it are okay if i if i if there's something that i object to or that i don't fully agree and i can't take these all all of their propositions onto myself then i can't you know then i you know fuck them kind of thing and and that it's it's very strange because i like to view all these people as portals you know goggles you can Mm -hmm. you can put on and it's it's a completely non-ideological um way of, of looking at the world and that's mm-hmm. the sense I get is when you speak about these guys you're not talking about this you know your lord and savior or, or something like that uh, no.
1: Uh, <laughs> no no uh, I wouldn't know I mean I just it's I mean I'm very interested and and, and myself I could even you know see because I said I've been doing this for quite some time now where there's you know um, um let's say you know you you develop a certain a more discriminating view of things over time or one hopes you do uh and that kind of thing too and you know you become a bit more um you know um uh, aware of things and there's a certain urbanity in a way uh, mm. that comes with age and sort of thing too and so i mean i find all these people fascinating and i've i've got you know i've gotten in trouble with with uh, the fans and devotees of, of different <laughs> ones i mean there's crowley people who they they watch right my, sorry I, I keep hitting the table here and that's not oh, fine the, Picture shaking, um, you know they they watch some videos I have and they 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 say some sort of sarcastic things about it or or, or you know that kind of thing and you know it's like well I <clears throat> I find them all fascinating I don't agree with everything all of them say I disagree with quite a bit of what each of them say but they're all very worthy of study. And right. you can get, we can get something from, it. and precisely, it's not about, see, I'm not, I, I'm not looking for a teaching. That's another thing too. Although I'm not against the teaching, but I personally am not looking for a particular teaching. I have certain ideas, certain things I want to find out having to do mm-hmm. with consciousness and having to do with sort of you know philosophical existential sorts of questions and the meaning and so, and so, and so, and so, and so on. People know my books, they know, you know, that's the sort of area I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So I'm very serious about those. I'm intent about those, but I'm, I, I don't, Um, and I'm willing to check things out and a a different time in my life, earlier time, I, I I did a a couple things, you know, okay, I'm doing, I'm going to pursue this system now for a while. And I Mm -hmm. I did it, I did some things, you know, and learned some things from it. And then I learned like, well, this actually isn't for me and so on. So,
0: um,
1: and as you know, but I think also, you know, many people want an identity. Many people do want something that's going to tell them, okay, follow this. Yeah. and you know and more times than not it probably works you know if, if you do follow all right. the stuff that Steiner says or somebody says you're yeah. gonna get something out of it you know yeah. you um, put... and so and, and for many people it's good you know um. so but it is sort of like you know it, it put it this way if all you listened to was one band like somebody who only listens to the Beatles yeah. god forbid you know never listen to anybody else think of it that way <laughs> you know if you follow one yeah. sort of it's like listening or watching one television show and nothing else, you know? Right. So it's, it's, you know, good to have a wider, you know, view of things and to develop discrimination. And also, you know, what, what, what is, what do you want out of it? You know what, that's the thing too. I mean, what do you want out of it? I mean, the sense of what, what's driving you kind of inner need in in the sense of a purpose of some sense, then again, it's, it's something that, you know, it does come and that's what I feel that I've been trying to do myself. And also to stimulate um, through the books, it's sort of, because, you know, again, this Maslowian notion of uh, this higher level, these kind of, it's no longer, you're no longer pursuing something that you lack. Right. What he calls the deficiency needs. It's the being need in the sense that it's like, it's a creative need. It's right. sort of the need—the need to know in itself. I mean, you, yeah. you pursue knowledge, and you pursue the mystery of things just because they are there. And that pursuit itself is yeah. is, is self-generating, and 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 um, is a value in yeah. itself.
0: There's always a horizon. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh,
0: like yeah, Meslovian is a great word, by the way. Um, uh, <laughs> I like that. It's like Pavlovian, but Meslovian. Uh, so yeah, that's 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 great. And I I kind of feel like um uh. I get in, you know. I I have had this. You get infected with uh, a kind of, well, or or maybe maybe I should phrase it a different way. There's kind of a natural devotion, a natural sense of devotion that uh, I think comes uh, out of human beings, and it it it's channeled into a religious a sense of religious devotion. Which even that term, I, I can still, I can still use it. In, uh, a bit neutrally in my own mind even though i know it is negative uh mm. it is so largely negative to so many people but not mm. everyone so you get this sense of religious devotion and then you get this sense of compulsory devotion at, at some point a kind of a, mm. a, a self idealized ideologization uh, if i can make up a word that is a horrible word uh, like a self <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean like i guess i guess there there's ideologies and and sort of uh, that 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 will draw you in and and will kind of uh, tell you that they're the final solution. And, and that I guess mm. it seems commensurate that we that for some people, we must re- reject those and continue mm. to move. So I guess uh, oh, there's a very large and vague notion that I'm trying to figure out how to ask, which mm. is that um, and, and it's it's somewhat summed up in the uh, the story I've heard you tell several times of. I believe it was Colin Wilson, the more life instead of more death.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, yeah. Well, he this was um, when when he was in school, when he was uh, in his late teens and uh, he was very depressed, teenager, adolescent. You know, he was going through all this existential angst um, in Leicester in in the 1940s and and things like that. And, um, uh, you know, had it. He, 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 basically wanted to kill himself. And he, uh, he was in a chemistry class and there was, I don't know, it was sulfuric acid or something along those lines. Mm. And he was going to take it and down it. And just as he reached out for the vial and he was going to take the stopper out, he had a sudden, very vivid realization of what it would feel like to, to drink it. Yeah. So his imagination involuntarily sort of kicked in. And he he and he suddenly realized what he wanted was not he wanted more life not less not less mm. and you can even you know in gospel life more abundant you know he right. he, he, he quotes that here and there and so yeah. in his early books like the outsider the first two first two books of his outsider and religion and the Re- religion and the rebel uh, they're part of this six book cycle called the outsider cycle but those mm. two he's still looking at it kind of from a religious point of view and he actually thought about entering a monastery and he thought about converting to Catholicism right. and all that stuff. And he kind of pursued that, but he realized, well, fundamentally, he couldn't give up sex. That was one thing. And then um, he, he thought like this, it really isn't for him a religious answer. It has to do with something about understanding a, a real mm. way of knowledge rather than right. a way of faith, way right. of knowledge, way of understanding how consciousness okay. works basically. So that, so he went, so in the early time though, he he, he, he did think of it in that way.
0: Hmm. Um, um. So that, I mean, that's, that's really interesting. And, uh, I, I wonder what your sense, maybe this is too vague of a question, but what your sense of life is, I mean, uh, you know, wh- when you're pursuing, cause I, I, I would like to be pursuing life and I would like to, to cast off as many of the requirements of, of what life might be as possible. Um, so yeah, do you have a way of describing the kind well, of life not- you're
1: chasing? Uh, there's nothing like it in the first place, you know. That's one thing. Yeah. It's the one thing we can't compare to anything else. Um, when you think about it, or mm. existence, I guess. But you know, life. I mean, there's life in the sense that we exist, and there's life as this kind of, you know, very difficult path we're all on at different times. Uh, you know, to me, it's a sense of well, how shall I say it? Um, <clears throat> it's something I've tried to get across in in my books, and it comes from from Wilson's work, and it's what I. I've called in different places sort of knowing in italics or, or really knowing. So you can know something, right? Uh, Right. Like, like Wilson, Wilson knew that, yes, if I drink this hydrochloric acid or sulfuric acid whatever it was, I will be dead. And yeah, it's going to burn my throat, but screw it. Life is horrible. I hate everybody. Everyone's stupid. Humanity is just completely (laughs) muddled thing it should never have existed. Schopenhauer was right and all this sort of thing. And then, he really knew what it would be like when his imagination kicked in Mm. and gave him full body, you know, three, 3d experience, HD experience of it. So Mm -hmm. he knew what, and so that's really knowing. And that's um, I think we're all subject to that. Um, Mm. Again, he he calls it, he called it this, the indifference threshold. So Mm. basically we're all, we're all hand dimmed with the kind of sort of, um, kind of field of indifference around us in which we take things for granted. But mm-hmm. he discovered that a crisis. This is why Nietzsche said, "Live dangerously." And like so many of the people he wrote about, he called them outsiders. They threw themselves into these really difficult, you know, uh, mm-hmm. situations or lives, or, or they, you know, they pursued, you know, danger in different ways. Let's say one of the favorite examples of his is when Jean Paul Sartre was um, part of the resistance. Um, during the occupation, and he could have been arrested at any time by the Germans, but he never felt as free. So paradoxically, when he could have been arrested at any moment, he never felt as free. So mm. there's was something about the tension, something about the crisis, right, you know, uh, that created a kind of you know inner inner kind of uh, he, he clenched his inner fists as it were mm. um, during that time. And so Wilson charts different sort of examples of that. You know, favorite one of his, Graham Greene, when he was, again, Graham Greene, absolutely bored, teenager, <laughs> suicidal, goes out onto the common and takes his brother's pistol um, and is playing Russian roulette. So he's right. bored enough to chance blowing his brains out. But the, the minute, the second that he pulls the trigger and it hits an empty chamber, he suddenly, everything goes, ah, and, right. and the world suddenly becomes technicolor and, you know, it's, yeah. it's, Dis- it's Disneyland. And so, so, again, it's this kind of that and that. right so this is something that he uh, centered kind of piece of Wilson's kind of work on I don't know what existential phenomenological you know analysis of consciousness structures so and so if you want to get academic about it but okay so he takes that and that's sort of you know I I personally have have experienced something like along those lines I know and it makes sense to me too and so that's why I feel I can apply these kind of ideas and Follow them out, and you could, you know, you could see them in the dialectic or dialogue between left and right brain, because the left brain narrows and the right brain,
0: (sighs) right. Yeah, Um, Ian McGilchrist's work. William William Blake William Blake says,
1: "Damn braces, but bless relaxes." You know, Mm. so damn it. You know, it's like it's the same sort of sort of thing. So um, that's oh, that just seems like yes, (laughs) yes. That's that. Not only does that sound good, I, I confirmed it to my own satisfaction, my own, um, you know, experience. So it's something that I think is, is a bit of real knowledge hmm. um, uh, and then go from there. So that, that's what I mean by, it's not necessarily spiritual in the sense, but I'm trying you know, and the reason I'm pursuing that is when you're in that other mode, you see meaning. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're, we're right. told, we're told every day by science all the time and I'm nothing in science and scientists, but we are right. told the universe is meaningless. When actually it's absolutely untrue. It's dripping with meaning. Right. But it's 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 too meaningful. We have yeah. we have a we have an inner filter that cuts out a lot of it. Because if right. it all came in, it, it would it would you know completely you know um, overwhelm us. This is what happens on you know many psychedelic experiences and other sorts right. of things like that. And so what we need is some way to open the doors of perception a little bit wider, not blow them off the hinges, which is what right. you do when you take some massive thing, or throw yourself into some kind of life-threatening situation right know? so i'm kind of so learning the this kind of phenomenological kind of steps in which you can break down and oh this is this is how that happened oh yeah. yes he had this experience what what happened before then and so th- that's what i mean by it's 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 pursuit of meaning but it's not through a kind of right spiritual it's, you know traditionally spiritual kind of way put it well
0: and it's certainly not propositional meaning right it, it's not no no it's
1: felt it's felt you know it's
0: uh yeah yeah i you know none of the books that in, in you know that have been written have have just finally and fully uh laid this meaning down it's it's, it's an experiential meaning it's a, it, mm, it, yeah. a dare i even say subjective meaning it's not necessarily a subjective meaning but it well, is but our experience ah, we won't we experience go. it in any other Way well, but that's sub- the only place we—it's subjective yeah. meaning,
1: but it happens in here. So it's some strange thing that's, you know. yeah. And again, that's phenomenology, you know. Yeah. And it, that even goes back to Goethe. Goethe is saying truth. Truth is, uh, well, I'm I'm becoming anachronistic here, but uh, unlike the X Files, for Goethe, truth was not out
0: there, but also,
1: uh, right. uh, unlike Berkeley and and uh, Kant, it's not only in here.
0: Right. It's it's, it's in a relationship boom, boom. Between they're the both two right
1: a, It's both right. It's where the right. two meet together. Yeah. And that's where we have to oh and so we develop disciplines which we okay, how much am I adding to I see the world and it strikes me as just there. Oh, no right. matter what I do with my eyes, it's there. And so I just accept that as given. Right. But Goethe and phenomenology always tell us like well actually you are already involved in the world that you see, but right. you don't know that. you don't understand that. Right, but we have different, you know, processes where we can somehow step, take steps back, and you can find out what's really there. What are you adding, you know, and, and, and things like that. And again, that's also sort of a poetic kind of process, you know, because the poetic vision, or at least it used to be, when you saw something and it struck you in this kind of way. Yeah. you know, not like poetry today is just kind of a rant about social conditions. Right, but you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you so you saw something in some unique way. Uh, and it, 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 I, don't, I don't know how to say it. It struck you as new and unusual and extraordinary and that kind of thing. Right. That's sort of, that's kind of like the result of a phenomenological kind of process before even doing it. So the poetic moment right. kind of gives you the the, the the result, the final thing.
0: Very much so. Yeah. yeah. What strikes me is that there's a definition uh, of the word, a misdefinition of the word real that can sometimes creep in to our thinking um and there, there's a comfort in uh man I'm, i've got all these ideas bouncing around based on what you're saying there's a comfort in staying within the kind of border um that is is a lot more arbitrary than we might think that it is the borders of ourself um but uh we, we sense these things outside and where we kind of get hung up is on this idea of real What is meaning is meaning real well i mean you know i i I, what i'm hearing in in, uh in what you're saying is that we you know treating meaning as real uh without turning it into a proposition is Mm -hmm. is the way to continue to to sense life and then and then accepting uh, some of the darker things too like death um uh, not necessarily accepting it but or i don't know sort of sort of becoming uh Aware of it in in a more embodied sense, or something like. Mm-hmm. um well, that's I've,
1: that's you know that's the existential being towards death in that way. That's very gloomy. You know, yes, oh. that's going to happen. But I'm <laughs> saying, but it is something. It, it in a certain way, it, it yeah. it's a strange thing because it it that's paradoxical too, because that enlivens you.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the reason oh, Heidegger, guys, what Heidegger
1: said, like the you know the 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 one sure thing, and I'm thankfully I'm paraphrasing Heidegger, otherwise we we have to have another half hour to get through the whole paragraph. Right. But you know when he. <laughs> Well, he's saying basically the one short sure thing that could uh, cure us of sinus vergessenheit, you know, forgetfulness of being, is the awareness of our death. And incidentally, mm. this is also something that um, the esoteric teacher Gorjev said.
0: Mm. You know,
1: there, was, there was like one thing that would, that would, the, the, the kind of permanent alarm clock in us to wake us up to yeah. being, because he too was concerned about our forgetfulness of being, would be, you know, the awareness of our death and all that, and the death of everyone around us. So, again, that. Paradoxically, the, the realization of this gloom, this gloomy future we're all moving towards wakens us up, you know, right. and, and we and we become more alive to where we are now, you know, and, yeah. and, and that kind of thing. But you know, I, I think, and this is what Wilson does, is like we don't necessarily have to have that kind of gloominess about about the the that that, that first generation existentialism. Mm. He spent an early his early career before he became a popular writer about the occult and mysticism and that sort of thing, the paranormal. Uh, to kind of devise a new a new existentialism which would use sort of existential phenomenological kind of methods and a, a sort of approach but it would take into account the kind of visions of meaning of someone like a Blake um mm. or Jacob Burma or even just mm. uh any one of us on a on a like it was a you know a nice day here in London in, in February spring like and you know and even though even though we're all in lockdown you know people were out and uh it's like you know that that in a way in a way that was sort of a mystical experience itself because so many you know I, I don't know how it is where you are in Canada but some you know we've been had to stay in yeah. a lot and so yeah. going out and even just getting the simple thing like seeing some sun and, and that sort of thing so that that yeah. that freshness the kind of freshness that is the, the poetic you know experience or the mystical yeah. experience you know I I felt some of that today just going out to the park and all that so
0: yeah um well i mean it's it it, it probably helps that that freshness and that mystical experience is something you you have an expectation of in your life that you that you actually believe there is a capacity for uh you know i i don't think it's gloomy at all uh personally to um to kind of uh be aware of death and and aware of suffering as as part of life i think it's something that we can even experience without a near death experience. Like I'm, I'm just thinking of my experience of having children and um, their suffering, even their, even their psychological suffering that is apparent to me. um, It is, is something that um, draws me into reality in a way Um, it, it mobilizes me. It's, it's like a little, a little, it's a little death within me to, or, or a, a glimpse of some kind of death to see your your children suffer in some way, and uh, and and I think that we the the, the definition of happiness has, has been made so kind of narrow and silly and useless mm-hmm. yeah, sure. um, uh, culturally, um, you know, and passively, um, but still very real, very in a very real way um, that we kind of think, you know, why would you even want to have? Uh, children and I've got three children now and I and so I've got three more opportunities to feel the pain and suffering Uh, Mm -hmm. but they draw me into reality in a way that nothing else can like Mm -hmm. it's really it's really changed me and and it's been a lot slower I I never had a near-death experience I haven't been kind of drawn to suicide but I I know people who for whom that has Mm -hmm. has kind of animated their lives as well so um, I don't really know what I'm what I'm getting at, except for the the fact that um, these sort of negatives, the, the, the pain no, I mean, and suffering, and of course and death so, yeah. No, 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 no. Draw mean, no of I'm life. not. I'm not.
1: I'm not. Um, I'm. I'm not advocating a kind of Pollyannish, you know. Um,
0: oh no! Yeah, like, what that. William
1: James calls the once born kind of thing. I mean, I'm aware of it. I'm. I'm just saying, you know. i Um. Yeah, of course. I mean, um. Well, I just. Well, last year or so, I've, I've wrote a book about Russia and talk about suffering. it's sort of the national pastime <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: uh, uh, you know, and 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 again Dostoevsky, he's you know that was one of the things he was he was very much motivated by the, the suffering of the world that he pursued and this was you know the final equation uh, that he tried to work out in in the last great novel the brothers Karamazov, where you know Ivan uh, wants to give his entrance ticket to to life back to God because um, even though it may all be worked out to some fantastically cosmic you know, scheme where every little thing works out in the end in some way, he, he can't accept the suffering. And he says the suffering of an innocent child. So you're mm. talking about children there. right? But he is trumped one, well, that's what Dostoevsky wanted by Alyosha, the other brother, who, who is the religious mystic, who, who's the, the devotee. He's, he, he's, uh, he's the follower of the Sarets, father Zosima, um, who was this kind of, you know, holy man. And um, he has this vision after the death of uh, father Zosima, he has this vision where all of this, he feels this kind of connection between all the stars, you know, up in the night sky, like, like were actual kind of threads or rays of light coming down from them to him. And it's this kind of, and, you know, Dostoevsky talked about suffering. He, he had it down pat. I mean, and, uh, <laughs> you know, he, his books are full of it and, you know, and Many people suspect that he himself went out of his way to create kind of. Again, this was this living dangerously. Instinctively, <laughs> he went out of the. No, I'm saying this is kind of, yeah. kind of thing Wilson would write about. He instinctively went out of his way to create some kind of uncomfortable situation, and, and right. it turned in many ways there was this kind of masochistic suffering about. And there's some ideas that he himself had, you know, committed some some rather odious deeds in earlier life, and this was kind of a thing that fueled him. So no, without doubt, I mean, these things bring yeah. us to life. But I, what I'm trying to say is that at least in the context of the existentialism that Wilson's kind of work came out of, like Heidegger, Sartre, and Camus, it kind of reached a sort of cul-de-sac. It reaches a, a sort of dead end. I mean, the, 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 the most affirmative kind of character of it, you can say is Camus where he says, you know, we, have, we have to consider Sisyphus happy. So we're, we're, we're all part of this <laughs> absurd life going on. We're pushing this rock up the hill. Yeah. It's only gonna roll down again. It's pointless, yeah. but somehow we can rise above it by stoically enduring it and making right. It. And Wilson's just saying, like even Camus, uh, in his writing, even though he doesn't come out, you know, and and actually say it, um, there's moments in his writing where he does have these kind of, he does portray these sort of moments. So he wouldn't call them mystical, but there are these kind of moments of affirmation. There are moments in mm. where he just accepts, and you don't get anything like that in, in Sartre. You know, Sartre is very, he's much more. Just, Camus is more of a lyrical kind of essayist, yes, I would say. Right. But in any case, what I'm trying to say is, yes, you're absolutely right. Suffering is something that, you know, we're conscious of it and sensitive to it. it, mm. it uh, well, it, life becomes very alive to us. But yeah. there, there is, a, you know, the, there's that moment, there are these moments of yay saying where even the, we, we say yes to even the suffering, but not, not just to endure it, but right. we, decide we actually you know, this is the life more abundant. You know, we, right. we, we somehow feel life to such a degree of intensity and affirmation and yay saying is Nietzsche wants Zarathustra to and Blake did and all that. That, you know, we can even embrace the suffering. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we can't explain it which say a Hegel or someone wants to explain, oh, we have suffering because it's like this, that, that's completely contemptuous right. because the rational mind, it's not the rational mind explaining the suffering away. It's some super rational or irrational or just completely just unconscious, vital yay saying of life that mm. it says yes to life, yeah. even in the face of the suffering.
0: I love so, that. Yeah,
1: So that's, yeah. Well, that's, that's Nietzsche. And Nietzsche, is, you know, he, he didn't have God to do that. He just felt this kind of, what do you want to call it? this kind of immediate sense of the self-justification of existence mm-hmm. know, it, itself, even in the face, even in the face of all its pain and suffering and mystery and uncertainty and all that. You know?
0: Yeah, I think of a documentary I saw about about rats um, in which they, uh, they kind of, uh, they, they take a dead rat and they show all of the uh, things that were plaguing that rat until the, the, the point of its death. And what struck me is that that, that rat's life force was that it was going to keep moving uh, because it was alive it was going to keep moving until it couldn't move anymore and there's a certain life force uh, that human beings can uh, have a unique maybe maybe a unique capacity to say well this suffering shouldn't have been and I and I and I need to stop uh, well, need to well, stop my you know I just need to stop uh, living
1: well and- I mean our, our, our problem has been you know we're again we're we're, we're our conscious mind is you know, um, out of sync with the instincts and all that kind of thing. So we have, you know, we become self-conscious, you know, and, you know, if, you, if uh, at an earlier time, you don't you don't think about these things. Oh, this is, you know, there's a uh, German philosopher named Max Scheller who said, um, even in the face of pain, animals always say yes to the world. Yeah. Meaning that they're incapable of stepping outside of the world and considering it as something beyond themselves that they can, you know, right. um, make an assessment of. Right. But we, we, we can say yes, uh, we can say no we not in in the sense of like, just in the sense of, as you just said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm outside of this. I, I, you know, I I reject the world or or I reject the world system, whatever you want to call it that we're in. Uh, But I mean, that's the thing, you know, I mean, in this. This is where we get into this, this is why by the 19th century after the enlightenment and all that, you start to get the reaction in the romantics where it's like, no, we're, yes, we're, we're, everything's enlightened and we figured it all out. It's a wonderful system, but we're losing touch with our vital instincts. And, and so this is where you get this pendulum swing. Mm. And unfortunately that's, that's wonderful, but that also goes, we, you don't want a kind of anti-intellectual irrationalism, but you don't want to dry as
0: dust Right.
1: Anti, anti-mystical, whatever you want to call it, anti-non-rational, right. you know, sort of uh, pedantic, um, you know, reductionism. So it's, again, it's this is fi- finding this middle ground where you get both sides of the, of the thing. And that's both sides of the brain, whatever you want to call yeah. it, you know, um, yeah. and bang, when that happens, I call that the Goldilocks sort of effect because it's right. just right. When that yeah. happens, um, you, you have, you know, that's when you have that's when real knowledge and truth or whatever we see reality in full hd 3d and all that kind of thing right you know and what we need to do is map out those moments yeah we need to develop a language where we can describe what those what those moments are are, are about and we have we have that to some degree in in great poetry and philosophy and all that but that's right i I feel in some way i'm trying to do that you know in in a language that's just just accessible so one i would say that it's more about metaphor and getting into these abstract kind of Mm. Definitions and yeah. terms of levels of consciousness and stuff like that, where it yeah. just takes on a bit, to me, a bit too abstract. So that's why I try to, insofar as I can, rely on sort of metaphor and simile and some, images, imagistic Sort of ways. Right.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, because the, the images that come to our mind do have a lot more to say than uh, than than the words that come to our mind. And I think that it seems it seems like there, like, th- there's a temptation and and a, and a very real outlet for uh, an unimaginative life uh, These days, and and I think when we see, um, you know, to to balance out the the, um, it, you know, I, I guess we're sort of we're almost talking about um, an, an acceptance of some of the darker, um, uh, you know, some of the darker death related, pain related things, and an acceptance of them, or at least a a framing of them as being a part of this balance. Um, and then on the on the opposite end is it would be that the, the um, the notion of comfort and the notion of kind of safety and security that we have well, in, in the West in, in, in Canada and yeah. the United States, and probably in England, kind of a consumeristic thing where, um, you know, the ultimate, the, the, hmm. wh- where well, we, we, we've got, I don't know, it, it feels like there are disincentives to the I- imagination.
1: Well, I mean, that's the, I mean, that's, again, this is a kind of dialectic. We, um, we create civilization in, in order to, Get rid of inconveniences and to make our life more comfortable right and then somehow we didn't understand that and by doing that we're we're, we're taking away all the kind of challenges that get the best out of us right mm-hmm. so that this is another thing so that's why again Wilson's outsiders are extreme case. went well, out and they lived dangerously they threw themselves into dangerous and i i don't mean lion taming but i meant you know they would just Live in right. in precarious situations, or you know things of that sort. And uh, um, uh, I mean, Nietzsche says, "Build your houses on Vesuvius." You know that, that that's, <laughs> that's you know a great line and all that. But you know it, it it just seems absurd. It seems absurd that we've struggled millennia, millennia to create civilization in, in order for it to inhibit us and make us feel uh, make us feel so unalive that the what we want to do is crash it down. And I think that's what's been in the collective consciousness for a long time, but the whole popularity, all these, not only disaster, hokey disaster movies from the seventies, but these apocalyptic and then post, post, post everything apocalyptic films that have been going on for, you know, they're like the hottest thing, even on like television on Netflix. It's yeah. time travel, it's time travel and it's post whatever, everything <laughs> uh, next. Uh, so, so we're all waiting for something to happen. I, I think that's the other thing, history's caught up with us. Yeah. And, and and we're waiting for something to happen. And people say so something has to happen. You know, it's yeah. like We've been waiting for a long time. It's the 21st century already. We're in yeah. the future already. Why hasn't anything happened yeah. you know, in some kind of millennial kind of thing? I have you know, a very... I mean, that, that's, that's, that's one kind of thing I, I think that's going on in, in our time now. But this is why I find Wilson is important, is that he recognizes this absurdity and but at the same time the need. Why are these outsiders throwing themselves into these dangerous situations? Because putting themselves in dangerous situations makes them feel more alive. Okay. Mm. But we create civilization in order to avoid danger. Fine. So there must be some way out of that. The thing is to use the imagination to basically create the kind of inner pressure that the crisis or the danger elicits from you involuntarily. Yeah. And this is again. This is where you can think your way to it, in the sense you can understand what's going on. Yeah. So, and um, you know, but it's, just as Wilson involuntarily imagined what the acid was going to taste like, or taste like, you know, do to him when he drank it, um, Graham Greene could have imagined what it would have been like to put the gun to his head and yeah. pull the trigger and hear the click and say, "Yeah, you know," and but. The next thing is, okay, if you can imagine something, if you can imagine a threat to you, right, that is going to increase your sense of life, we're back to Heidegger and Gurdjieff saying, what we need to do is have a very vivid sense of our death. So mm. if we can imagine that we're going to die at some point, you know, really do it, I'm not saying do it now, but really, really do it, really grasp it in full body, you know, full embodiedness of this is real. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to keel over at some point, whether I like it or not. Okay. That suddenly makes us alive. Okay. Why, why do we feel alive? Because we realize what we are going to lose, what we're Mm -hmm. going to lose by dying, what -hmm. we're going to lose by blowing our brains out. Okay. Step three. Why not imagine vividly the value of what you're going to lose? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Rather than imagine losing it, remind yourself about why these things are important. Remind yourself why you would, be miserable if you lost them.
0: yeah Visualize you know, your investment.
1: Well, just why? Why is it? Why is? Why isn't? If I'm so, if I'm so miserable, then I'm suicidal, right? That I want to blow my brains out. When I find out I don't, suddenly everything's meaningful to me.
0: How, yeah.
1: How could the heck, what, what, what happened then? Something yeah. happened then. So right. why, why? Why is that? Why is that like a mystical experience to me? Because suddenly I, I grasp the value of these things. So mm-hmm. what we need to do is develop our imagination, which is not about make believe. It's right. about making real. It's about realizing something. When you realize something, you make it real. We use our imagination to make the things around us that we already, you said talk, you know, definition of re- things being real. We already think everything around us is real, but it isn't in a way. It's only half real because we don't fully grasp the full reality of it. You know, hmm. uh, I, I, you know, if, what do you want to say? If I, you know, uh, you know the, the slightest kind of thing, if I get so angry at what's on television that I, I, I pick up the toaster and I throw it at it,? Right? That may be very satisfying for a brief moment. But if I can visualize and imagine ahead the, 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 the inconvenience of having to deal with the smashed television and all that, I'll right. hold back. You can right, so that's the kind of thing. So I, I, if I, I can imagine the inconvenience, you know? So that's I'm yeah. trying, this is why training the imagination to induce the kind of thing that some threat, some actual threat in the outer world. Because that's what we have to do, because we're increasingly we're not there's going to be less and less ways we can go live dangerously. Right. You know, I mean, you know, because even even all that kind of stuff is all kind of, you know, really organized, you know, and there's 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 a queue to get up Everest. You know. Right
0: there's a there's a queue on Everest from <laughs> yeah the, yeah so
1: it's like, and I'm sure I'm sure everyone's two meters apart you
0: know Ugh, yeah right yeah so it's very interesting what what you're saying yeah talking about kind of uh, uh, developing the imagination to to uh, almost avoid these um, these terrible uh, scenarios to kind of get the effect of uh, of the uh, near death without it. it it actually brings to mind also that the birth experience for uh, mm-hmm. women because. Uh, I talked about this in another conversation. It it, it seems like you um, at a, at a certain point, um, it's such a vis- birth is such a visceral thing, and but you commit to it way before the pain comes. You know, you, you you commit to it, and you um you you've sort of you've sort of take it make an investment, and you say, um, I know there's going to be pain based on on my decisions that you know I, I don't know what it's like yet um but you know there's something to be said for that as well for choosing situations that uh you know maybe force us to experience things i'm, I'm not saying to 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 be masochistic but to kind of the the danger to commit to the danger to live on vesuvius uh mm-hmm. and and to say that um i might get you know i'm I, I, i'm probably going to experience some pain based on this but even mm. just living even just living in the kind of i don't even want to say shadow living in the light of that future p- uh pain based on mm. doing what you mm. you know based on well, i mean, well, I mean your- yeah
1: yeah yeah sure i mean life's just full of life's a grim business you know life is life's just painful i mean if you stick around long enough you, you just just age does it to you and you start to feel pain all the time so uh yeah i mean i, I it's um no, I mean you know there's a commitment. I mean this again. If you want to stay in the existential kind of vocabulary, this is commit making the commitment to life and you know mm. throwing yourself into it and not trying to avoid, um, you know, the unpleasantness of it. You know, but also I would say don't avoid don't avoid the pleasantness too. You know, well, this right? Is the thing. That's yeah. yeah it's, I mean, if you I mean feel and again, more. and I, I and I don't mean pursue pleasure. And uh, I, I don't mean going and pursuing peak experiences. As right. is another Maslow term, the peak, which is, again, yeah. it's this moment of, basically it's the same thing I was talking about. It's a moment of wakefulness. It's a moment where you actually, this is the thing is, it's, it's unfortunate that we, we only have one word for this, imagination. And we mm-hmm. also have all this other stuff that we, uh, you know, and rightfully so, because this is what we're brought up, you know, associate with it. Mm-hmm. So, but we need something that. This imagination is that it's not about make-believes make real it's, it's it's kind of inner faculty we have to grab hold of reality mm-hmm. but it's it's the ability it's the ability to grasp realities that are not immediately present.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're hypnotized by the immediate present. Reality is what's in my living room now and you on yeah. the screen and all that whereas we yeah. all know reality exceeds that both in space and time
0: yeah, yeah. You know,
1: and- we, uh, we're, we're told to be here now so that's fine you know uh, <laughs> how big is here? And how long is now?
0: Right, because yeah.
1: here is well from here. It was in my room, but my room is in London. London's in England. England's in you know. So here yeah. kind of expands, and now is the middle in this point in what we yeah. call time that has you know we well you we somehow think fifteen billion years ago maybe is when it got going and all that. So I, that, all I'm trying to say is like reality, and again we have to we have to limit the amount of reality that we're aware of. Otherwise, it'll be overwhelming. Yeah, you know, but. We, if We limit it too much; it becomes boring. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. We have totally. to find that way we can le- le- let a little bit more in, because we only we only can make you we can't make use of these kind of big. I don't think so. These big oh, mystical psychedelic experiences all the time. They should really happen once or twice to give you okay, bang! This is what's here and happening, and then you right. have a, you grab hold. You develop the mental muscles to be able to grab hold of, of what you saw then, or yeah. the meaning of what you saw then. And that, that informs, you know, what you work towards in life, you know?
0: Um, I love that. Because,
1: I mean, I'm a firm believer that there are, there are true objective values in the world. I mean, they actually exist, but again, they, they don't exist out there in the way the planets exist out there and they don't right. just exist in here because yeah. there is no in here, you know?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: The, there's, you know, there's no, you, as you say, you open my head up and you're not going to find, but, but uh, metaphorically, what we call consciousness somehow seems to be located in, in there.
0: Yeah. But
1: um, it, it, it's um you know re- reality is this <laughs> somewhere the meeting place of these kinds and these the values are there and they somehow you know yeah. somehow the outer world and our the way we interact with it draw, draws draws that out and we well we, we're i i would say in one sense if we're going to talk about the purpose of human, human beings and all that we're, our job is to actualize these values mm. to make values real in in the world so they they exist in a a conceptual realm or a metaphysical realm. And right. then there's this kind of just dead matter, which is nothing. It just yeah. doesn't have any kind of quality. And then somehow we, our job is to somehow actualize those things
0: in this we realm. We find here. them and live them. Yeah, we, yeah, we, exactly, we yeah. combine then, the two worlds together in our, yeah. in our, in our self, our consciousness, and our life. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I and I, I also would say there's a progressive kind of um, extension of, of that kind of inner freedom. In, right. In, into this into this world out here now, you know that, that we that we we're in.
0: Yeah. What what comes to mind for me is that that uh, like the the idea of God is is extremely compromised. But um, w- when we talk about having this uh, imagine imaginal or you know this this reality that we can imagine, um, I think if, if it, with a healthy perspective, it's not really different from uh, thinking of of God. I mean, God obviously in a, in a, a very vague sense but um just carrying around the sense that there's always more carrying around a sense of expectation that uh I, you know that um you know define defining the final more is is the is the greatest death but oh. if you can carry around if you can carry around the sense that there's more if you can carry around the sense that the walls around you um uh c- can fly fly away and reveal more oh. at some point you know uh, uh then that's that that's kind of what i would characterize as Hmm. as a healthy view of god you know Hmm. because it's this it's this it's this thing that contains as much danger as it does uh promise and potential and uh and and you approach it with expectation and you approach it with um care you know um Hmm. they talk about the fear of god and i think that's like uh uh that's a, a more useful concept than maybe people think uh you know yeah. i don't mean to be getting theological but i mean i guess there are just are different ways to oh, kind of it's... phrase there are different ways to kind of phrase these things uh, in different uh, ways uh. in different paths that the same idea can can come across that reality is reality is there and our imagination is is a way to engage with it beyond you know what we see
1: Mm, yeah, oh, I, well, I would say, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, even, you know, like you look out on the world and we see say the physical objects, material things or something like that, but well, I might up saying two things. Now. I mean, no one's ever seen matter. Matter is an abstract idea. There's things mm-hmm. we say are made of matter, but no one can ever show you. Here's a lump of matter. It's either a stone <laughs> or some water right. <laughs> or it's got- some gas, but it's never any, Oh, there's matter. And what color is matter? You know, right. It's just, I mean, that's you go down that route, and you realize, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's we can go back to Locke and Berkeley and and those guys, and get get into yeah. that. Um, but um, no, I, I I I think fundamentally, it's it's having that vivid sense of life again, and, and and when you have that vivid sense of things, you don't you don't the need for that kind of definition and sort of thing. Uh, it kind of drop, it drops away. And I I don't necessarily mean the, oh, we're like that blissed out. I don't mean that. It's just sort of right. like that. I say it um and I don't mean that uh, i'm I'm one who doesn't i I don't think mystical experiences are ineffable um and I've said in talks we just need to work on our effing as as, <laughs> as, as it were in the sense that that's our job to map map out these kinds of things and language is the tool we have to do that, and you know so um I think we can do it, but it's a it's a slow process and it, it takes a lot of work and all yeah. that but um no, I think anything that vivifies <clears throat> I should say it well, every friend who asks me, oh, you're, are, are you optimist or pessimist? Said, That's the red herring. It's like, there are things worth fighting for, put it that way, in that mm-hmm. sense. And, and, and I, I don't mean fighting like, you know, attacking the capital right. building, but I, I, I mean the sense that, you know, struggling. struggling in some way through your own efforts to, to, to uh, be worthy in, that, in one sense, to speak in that way, of, mm-hmm. of these kind of values in the world, living in the court, yeah. truth, freedom, whatever it might be. Yeah, it, it, it could just be the fact that you you saw a tree, the roots of a tree in a certain way, and it struck you as just alive and living in something. And suddenly you realize, my God, life, things are real. I, yeah. I, we don't have a language to talk about that.
0: That's and what I'm we trying don't, to say. And <clears throat> but,
1: that, but, that, but I was going to say, even that could be enough for you to realize that there's something of value that's out, outside of my me. It's outside right. of my subjective worries. I, I'm aware of it. Through my inner world, but it's something that's not me, and 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 it's it's a value, or it's it somehow radiates an aura of meaning or significance or whatever you want to call it. Right. And that I I think you we crave that we crave that you can call it freshness, newness. You know, we we crave that that kind of thing. Yeah. And totally. what happens is over time we we lose touch with it. You know, we 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 lose touch with it. And there's these different moments crisis moments can do it but also sudden moments of happiness you're talking about children i mean i i have two um sons they're in their 20s knock on wood early 20s but i was at both of their births and i have to say that's probably the most transformative experience
0: it's amazing i've ever
1: had to to be at that you know yeah Yeah. and um yeah you know and if i if i focus on it i can kind of revive a sense of what it was like but it certainly Mm. was one of those sort of limit those limit experiences you know
0: yeah well, yeah, it's that those things are so transformative. And what I love about um, uh, what I love about your work, um, and I'll I'll start of start moving towards wrapping up, is that um, there is a sense of journey. Uh, well, your work and your life, that, to me, that uh, I get a sense of journey from from what I what I hear and and see, um, and uh, there is this, um, you know, this. Wonderful non-ideological nature to it, in in that um, these various um, experiences that are going to cause this to happen—they're kind of burning bushes, or they're kind of moments of uh, you know uh, where reality is speaking in a direct way. But they're not—you can't lead someone to that exact experience. You know that's Mm -hmm. that that's the thing, and that's why there's always a a good space for kind of this non-religious, non-ideological sense of just on ongoing search for an experience of life and, and, and hopefully life in an increasing way, life mm-hmm. more abundantly. And, and so that, that's, that's one of the, the things while um, it might be hard for somebody to pin down Gary Lockman, you know, uh, your message, right? I'm very uh, but available. That, <laughs> no, 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 I know. You're very available. <laughs> I know, I
1: know. No, I know. I'm, but, joking, I'm joking. Right. And I,
0: but I love, uh, yeah. well, you're talking to me, so you must be fairly available because I'm nobody, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but you, but you, uh, yeah, I just want to, I just want to affirm that. I, I think that's, that's quite valuable um, that, that there are people out there. Um, to talk to I talked to couple. Yeah.
1: Well, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's, uh, it's, well um, yeah, I, I, the same thing here. I mean, I, there isn't a particular teaching or, I mean, there's ideas that I deal with, there's writers I, I deal with, and, you know, all you have to do is, and so I'm, it's not like everything, a grab bag, but I'm trying to understand what these people are about and where we are, where we find ourselves now. You know, I mm. somehow found myself, you know, 40 years, or whatever, something years ago, 45 years ago, I was, you know, playing in a rock band and first reading about this stuff, and now here I am talking to you about it and have written mm. 20-something books about it. And I also, yeah. as I said, the sense of future, the future catching up. So even in my sort of career journey, writing about this sort of thing, it feels like it, it has caught up to where I am now. Mm. Because a lot of the stuff—I mean, that was a book I did a couple of years ago, "Dark Star Rising," about all the strange occult politics around yeah. the, the fellow who used to be in in, in the White House.
0: <laughs> um,
1: and that was like that was almost front page kind of stuff. So that felt to me, it's it's my particular journey, but I also see the right. culture, you know. Yeah. And what well, you know, what I you know perhaps presumptuously say about what I, you know, the evolution of consciousness in some way, it does seem that it has reached a kind of, not a culmination, but a certain point where, hang on, you're talking about transition, where things that were on the fringe and on, on, on the margins right. have kind of come into the center and a lot of things, and, you know, different reality being up for grabs, you know, yeah. I, I don't go. there's a lot to yeah. say about that, but so I kind of feel like it is kind of in a journey or a kind of narrative and it's come to where and even in my own work I mean I like said I've, I've done two books about current events you know yeah so again it's like, it's, it's not history it's like history now that kind right of thing
0: yeah it's not just getting off into the imagination and disconnecting mm-hmm. from everything and and I mm-hmm. do think that there there is a growing uh desperate interest I guess and desperation to hear uh about deeper reality and about the things you're talking about and uh-huh. and, and so uh, yeah. I, I just want to say thanks for talking to me yeah, well, the, the, so, so much good uh, stuff in here and, uh, very inspirational and very kind of, uh, I don't know what it, 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 I, I like, I love anything that gives me that sense of just mm. calling forward towards an undefined, uh, uh, future you know from the, my from my tradition that the, the, the Bible verse that says go from your this land and your father's house to the land that I will show you uh, you know and then the Israelites wandered in the desert for for 40 years and you know but the, the, that call is if you can get comfortable if you can get comfortable with that call I'm going to move to the land that I haven't been shown yet, uh, that's where that's where the, the life and vitality is, and that's what I see in in, in your work. So,
1: well, I mean, yeah, just try just try to keep keep going. You know, it's uh, it's open ended to put it that way. I, and, Absolutely. And I, 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 the more I should say it, uh, the more you know, the more you, there is to know. You know, I think reality extends. Uh, the further we understand it, there's more there to understand. So, just yeah. keep going. All right. Well, thank you very much. I've, thank uh, you. Appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah, appreciate you being here. Have a great uh, rest of your day. It was a pleasure to meet you, Gary. Right,
1: you too. Take care.
0: Okay, All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.